Greetings in the Master's name. Title of the message this morning is Contentment. Uh, somebody quote for me Psalm 23 1. Okay. And uh, I might have mentioned this before, but, well, uh, okay. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The the meaning there is I shall not lack. That's the Hebrew there. Uh, the word want means lack. Uh, the uh, Young's literal translation has it, Jesus is my shepherd, I do not lack. But uh, what I was going to say is uh, supposedly a little girl was quoting Psalm 23 and said, the Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. And so she may have misquoted it, but her theology was pretty good. Um, can, can any of us honestly say that? That we want nothing more. Now for me, I'm still buying books. Um, so what do you want? And uh, my guess is there's probably quite a few things you want and that you plan to get eventually. So, are you content or discontent? What's the opposite of contentment? In other words, it starts with C. Yeah, covetousness. I would say that's the opposite of contentment. Let's turn to Hebrews 13, verse 5. Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Thank you. And uh, so... The uh, okay, let your conversation, the conversation there means manner of life, and be without covetousness. The uh, modern King James Version said, Let your way of life be without the love of money, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, Not at all will I leave you, not at all will I forsake you, never. Now, Young's literal translation, and actually, he actually kind of keeps some of the same word order. Without covetousness, the behavior, being content with the things present, for he has said, no, I will not leave, no, nor forsake thee. And so the verse says, you have Jesus. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, so you have all you need. Let your manner of life be without, well, what does it say here, without um without the love of money, uh, being content with the things present. Now, well, the next verse says, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So what if all you had was Jesus? Would you be content? Well, there's a lot of people in the world that actually face that. Now, we, of course, we're, we're aware now, most of us are aware of Ukraine. And so if you were a farmer in eastern Ukraine and all your equipment got carted off by the occupiers and your fields were destroyed and mined and all you had left was Jesus, would you be content? I mean, that's all you have left. 
well, that's Ukraine, but it goes on in other parts of the world too, like Congo and Sudan, and well, in China, the persecution is ramping up, and so or Middle East. Uh, if you become a Christian in a Muslim country, your life is at stake. You lose basically everything. And so the verse is saying, let your manner of life be satisfied. Be content with Jesus. And then verse 8 yet says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. And that, the way that verse is stated is interesting to me. It doesn't say Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. I like that. Um, so thinking about life and the things that happen in this verse in Hebrews, it says you have Jesus, so be content. And we mentioned before the... Uh, well, the Thanksgiving song we sang, Now Thank We All Our God by Martin Rinkert, written in 16, well, the date on it is 1636. That's probably accurate. And uh, that was in the middle of the Thirty Years' War, the city of Eilenburg, where he was a pastor. Uh, he had applied to be a pastor there uh, in the 1620s, and somehow he wasn't appointed there. But then he was appointed there one year before the Thirty Years' War started. Now, actually, he would have been he would have asked before that because Thirty Years' War was 1618 to 1648. But so anyway, so he was 31 when he was appointed as sort of a senior pastor there. And that was 1617. Okay, then the war started. And and Eilenburg was a walled city, and so there was a lot of refugees poured in. I don't know what the population was before the war started, but uh, it was a terrible time. Uh, opposing armies would occupy the city and everything, and it just went from bad to worse. And actually, this song, Now Thank We All Our God, it was written as a little table prayer. You know, we say we say grace before our meals, and that was actually what it was written for. Uh, but then it became very popular, I guess, because of the thoughts that were expressed. And uh, so did he, uh, what he said in that song, was it, was he content? I mean, you have to wonder, how could he say, Now Thank We All Our God in the midst of, of those circumstances who wondrous things have done in whom this world rejoices who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way in the middle of this devastating war I guess he must have been thinking about what Hebrews 13 5 says if you have Jesus, be content with what he's done for you. Because this, the, the, the spiritual realities in life is something that the forces of this world cannot, should I say, cannot touch or cannot undo, at least. The promises of God and what we have in Jesus Christ, the circumstances of life cannot undo that. They can affect us. They can challenge us. They can tempt us. They can discourage us. But it doesn't change the promises of God. 
And maybe that's what he was thinking about. And maybe the second verse... was his desire for God's help through all the circumstances. He says, Oh, may this bounteous God through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us and keep us in his grace and guide us when perplexed and free us from all ills in this world and the next. That takes on a good bit of meaning when you think about what he was in the middle of. Well, then the next year, it was a, well, you know, the, the what is it, the three horses in Revelation, it's war and pestilence and famine, and you have all of them that go along with war. And so the city was crowded, and this plague broke out and he was it says he was reading I guess they had their formula or whatever for funerals he did like 50 of them a day and finally got so bad they just buried the people in trenches like four, over 4,000 died in one year and including his wife and the other pastors two of them had left the city and two of them died in the plague or before the plague so he was the only pastor left was he content? Well, he sang the song. Another song I thought about, it's in the church hymnal, it's not in the, in the hymns of the church, it's more of a duet. It's uh, at Jesus' feet. Amid life's ever-changeful scenes, my trustful soul on Jesus leans. The sun may shine, the storm may beat, I'll humbly bow at Jesus' feet. Now, when we think about contentment and covetousness, <clears throat> we often think about stuff. I'd like to broaden out a little bit beyond stuff. So the opposite of contentment, I said, could be considered covetousness. What's the 10th commandment? Thou shalt not covet. And it says... Okay, now are you say in Deuteronomy? Okay, let's see now. I wonder what, what you know what verse that is. Uh, okay, uh, which chapter? Five. Okay, I want to see that. Okay, thou shalt not desire. Yeah, right. Okay, thank you. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not desire. So our desires. That that's very good. And so, but in, in Exodus 20, 17, thou shalt not covet or desire, we could say, a neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet or desire thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And so, a lot of people, well, a lot, well, evidently, a lot of people covet somebody else's wife. Are, are we are we content with what God has given us whether it's things relationships 
Okay, it says house, that's things. Your neighbor's wife. His manservant, his maidservant. His property, his machinery, his ox, his ass, his livestock, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Are we satisfied? Are we content with our station in life, with where we find ourselves? Or do we desire what somebody else has, what their station is in life? Isaiah 3 is quite a description of the daughters of Zion. Are we content with the way God made us? Or do we feel a need to alter or add on or attract? You can read there in Isaiah 3 what all they did. What do we do today? The Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. Is that true? The Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. Or, or, what do I want? Let's turn to Philippians 4. Here's another passage where we have the word content. Philippians 4. Uh, read verses 10 to 20. <laughs> Philippians 4, 10 to 20. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Notwithstanding you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I depart from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received the Epaphroditus, the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So we have this verse here um, that says... Um, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. It's kind of an interesting passage because he says, uh, I'm rejoicing that your care of me has flourished. He said, you lacked opportunity. Uh, you, you, you know, you cared about me, but you lacked opportunity. And, he, and so he's thanking them for their gift. He said, it's not because I really am uh, speaking out of um, a want, but because I've learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. But he says, I know how to be content when I have a lot. 
and I know how to be content when I have a little. And that's pretty good because that oftentimes the more people have, the less content they are. So he says that he can be content when he has a lot and he can be content when he has a little. He says, I've learned. I've learned. So maybe contentment is something that has to be learned. But, you know, you go down through here and he says, um, he says, I can do all things through Christ. So there again, see, the focus is Christ. You have Christ, you have all you need, is what it says in Hebrews. And he says, as you, and so as you go down through here, he says, um, you did good that you shared with me. And he says, you know that none other churches shared with me like you all did. And uh, he says, you, you, you shared with me more than once. And, and he says, not necessarily because I was just wanting something, but uh, I want something that's going to be for your benefit. And actually, the, the wording that's used here is accounting terms. So he's saying that uh, by you giving to me, it, it, uh, it kind of, um, well, have to be careful here how we think because uh, we know we know that, that uh, who we are before God is because of Jesus Christ. But he says here that you're giving to me kind of added to your ledger in God's sight. Now you figure that out. Uh, because that's what he says here in, uh, in verse uh, 17. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And that's an, that's an accounting term. Um, so, so um, he says, God will supply your needs. And then the uh, last verse there, unto God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. A very interesting passage. But he says, I have learned in whatever state I am, therewith to be content. Now you go back in the previous chapter, and he says in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Paul had a lot going for him, earthly-wise. He was undoubtedly a very uh, capable person. Uh, I just thought he was instructed, maybe by Gamaliel. He was a true-blooded Jew all the way through, you know, the Pharisees, the Pharisees, and so on. Um, but he says, what was gained for me, I count loss for Christ. And you can read about his sufferings. He lists them, shipwreck, beatings, and so on. He said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And right, he was writing this from prison. He's writing this letter from prison. Are we, are we content with our state in life? Is it wrong to have desires? Because like Mark mentioned, 
the verse there in Hebrew and Deuteronomy says desire. Is it wrong to have desires? Is it wrong to desire marriage? Is it wrong to desire children? I'm content. What about the young lady or the young man that looking forward to marriage and then they get jilted just before the marriage? Are they content? Or maybe the family's blessed with children, half a dozen or more, and then there's an accident. They lose one or two. Are they content? We, uh, I don't think God wants us to be Stoics. I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Seems like Martin Rinkert had somehow learned that. Uh, it's content in the fact that we have Jesus. That's what it is. It's not that there's no sadness or tragedies in life, disappointments. But if we have Jesus, we can be content. In a sense, I think you understand. Was Paul, was Paul content? He said, I've learned what's every state I am there with to be content. I thought about 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, for we have these glorious words. I'm now ready to be offered. The time my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is later for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. And then he says, Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Oh, so it's okay to want books. See, Paul, he wanted the books. So I got scripture for that. But uh, he wanted his coat. He wanted his coat. He wanted some books. He wanted the parchments. So he had some wants. Uh, well, okay, so how is that? The Lord's my shepherd, that's all I want. Um, in a sense, yes. But we still, there's life goes on, there's things that we hope to maybe uh, have. Um, the balance, the balance. Um, but that, that contentment of Paul's is, is a result of the mindset that he expressed there in, in, uh, chap, in, Philippians, in Philippians 3, 7, where he says, What things were gained to me, those I count lost for Christ. Now, someone, I was looking up some of these. I was actually looking up some things about him. Then I ran across, somebody said it this way, That is the essence of a Christ-centered life. And its reward is nothing less than intimate and eternal fellowship with the Lord himself. It is an outlook that Jane Bonar expresses so beautifully and passionately in her hymn, Fade, Fade, Each Earthly Joy, repeating 12 times the key phrase, Jesus is mine. Though many things, even good things, crowd into our days, 
Our desire should be that in all things he may have the preeminence. By comparison, the things of this world are merely perishing things of clay, born for but for one brief day. That was in verse 2. Verse 3, farewell you dreams of night, Jesus is mine. Lost in this dawning bright, Jesus is mine. All that my soul is tried, that but a dismal void. Jesus is satisfied, Jesus is mine. And it was interesting when uh, I have my hearing aids today, but I still don't hear everything very well. And when when uh, Brother Joe gave the uh, number for that song, 881, somehow I heard 301. And so I was at 301, which was sort of um, serendipitous, um, because 301 is face to face with Christ my Savior. And so fade, fade, he's earthly joy. Jesus is mine. And then face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? But it says, only faintly now I see him with the darkling veil between. So the thoughts going through my mind and and all that. Uh, fade, fade, each earthly joy. Now, sometimes you see a, a, a photograph, a, a picture of something like maybe a flower or something, you know, and it's, it's the, the, the camera is focused right on that thing. It's in really sharp. It's really sharp. And everything in the background is kind of fuzzy. And that's the way um, I see us looking at Jesus. Jesus is in sharp focus in our lives. And everything else is kind of fades into the background. That's what the song says. Fade, fade each earthly joy. Jesus is mine. Now, the song, uh, Face to Face with Christ my Savior, it said, so how did it say it? It said, uh, only faintly now I see him. But the more, the more that the other stuff is fuzzy in the background or fades into the background, and the sharper focus we have on Jesus, the more, the less faint, the less faint we see him, uh, I would say. There's another song that says, Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. Oh, yeah, and then there was another one. I was, um, I forget how my mind went to this one, but. Oh, yeah, fade, fade each earthly joy. And then on the next page, it's I'd rather have Jesus. 882, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. Is the second verse. I'd rather have Jesus in worldwide fame. He's fairer than the lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out of the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus than let him lead. And that phrase, he's all that my hungering spirit needs. You know, um, Brother Shaphan read Psalm 63 for devotions and it says my soul thirsteth for thee my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is it's kind of like he's famished for Christ he's famished for Jesus and it's very similar to the thoughts in Psalm 42 where it says as a heart panteth after the water brook so panteth my soul after thee O God my soul thirsteth for thee for the living God 
And so there's the picture of the deer that's being chased, and he's he's being chased, and he is he is uh, he needs water. And it's and the psalmist says, "This is how I long after God." So the song says, "I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than earthly applause. I'd rather have him than fame." I wonder. If you go out here on the street and you'd ask people, finish this statement, contentment is, what would you hear? Contentment is, well, contentment is having Jesus. I don't know if you'd get anybody that would say that or not. If you'd ask 10 people on the street, but contentment is having Jesus. There's a lot of, there's a lot of competition for Jesus. There's a lot of distractions from Jesus. We live in a consumer society. I remember reading an article many years ago. It was talking about the Middle East and uh, something that must have been trade or something and, you know, being able to sell products. And the, the comment was that, well, before they're going to buy from us, we got we got to turn them into a consumer society. See, a consumer society, you just consume things, buy things, buy things. If you don't have a consumer society, you're not going to buy things. So we got to make a consumer society out of it. Well, we're a consumer society here in the, in the U.S. We're in a consumer society. Stuff, stuff, stuff. So. Fade, fade, each earthly joy. And it's not only just stuff, it's gadgets. There's a, there's a good article in the last Lifelines that just came out by James Gearing on how does my smartphone affect my walk with God. Um, so that's worth reading too. Let's turn to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6. I think I'll read this chapter. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed, and they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railing, inguil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, Supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and to many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. And follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, 
but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute well, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Very interesting passage when we think about contentment. The first three verses are talking to slaves. And he says, Count your masters worthy of all honor, and don't despise them, but rather do them service because they're your brothers. Now, it's not, it's not condemning slavery. It's not condoning slavery. It's just saying if you find yourself in that situation, this is the way you're to function. And so be content, whatever state you're in. And think about your life being a service to God whatever state you're in. And then he goes on and in verse 5 he says the people that suppose that gain is godliness from such withdraw yourself. I'm fairly well off because, I mean, I'm not saying I am, but I'm saying this way people often think. I'm fairly well off because uh, I keep the commandments. I'm a righteous person. I do what, I mean, I live by the principles of the word. And so God blesses, God blesses people like that. Is that true? Well, there's, there are certain spiritual laws that apply but he says here as the people that think that gain is godliness you should withdraw from them very amazing statement and then he talks about what is true gain godliness with contentment is what is true gain and what is great gain and he tells why Because when we leave this world, we're not taking anything with us. So what have you accomplished if you pile up a bunch of stuff? And so the conclusion is verse 8. To have food and clothes, be content. That's exactly what Jesus said, Sermon on the Mount. So in verse 11, he says, flee these things. Flee stuff. Well, flee the desire to be rich or the love of money. You know, we could say, I don't desire to be rich. I don't love money. I just need to pay my bills. Where do bills come from? From buying stuff. So he says, what you're to pursue is righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Tremendous contrast. You know, it takes time to pursue stuff. And it takes time to pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and so on. 
And so which is it going to be? Are you in love with stuff? Or are you in love with Jesus? And I thought about falling in love with Jesus. People don't like that expression, falling in love. So rising in love with Jesus. And that's what Pleasant says in Colossians. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. What sense? And I found verse 20 also to be very interesting. Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. And the word there is deposit. Paul said, Timothy, God has deposited something with you. That's what you're to focus on. The, uh, the, uh, the ESV that we're reading um, this year uh, says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. And in, uh, in the next book, Second uh, Timothy 1, verse 14, I think it is, um, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us, the ESV says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to us. That's what should be our focus. The, we're stewards of the good news that, that, that's been deposited with us that's what we're to keep. That's what we're to focus on. And the ESV also translates the verse 12, where in first in 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, where it says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted or deposited to him. Uh, once upon a time, uh, in some years past, Anna Mary and I were relating to a, um, a wealthy couple, uh, some care, given some care, and the, uh, the husband uh, was already in uh, fairly advanced dementia. And one time in his house, and I don't remember if we were just walking around or if he had, I kind of think maybe he had asked to go to this certain room. Anyway, on top of this file cabinet, there were several notebooks. And uh, he patted those notebooks and he said, it's all there. It's all there. And he didn't say what was all there, but I think it was his financial records. would have been millions, millions. It was all there. And Paul says, he is able to keep what I've committed unto him against that day. That's where it was all there for Paul. So where is it all there for us? Jesus is all the world to me. And I may have mentioned this before too. The little poem by John Bunyan, The Shepherd Boy Sings, He that is down needs fear no fall. He that is low, no pride. He that is humble ever shall have God to be his guide. But then the second verse relates to our subject today. I am content with what I have, little be it or much. And Lord, contentment still I crave because thou savest such. 
And in the third verse, the, the word order there in poetry sometimes to make things work. Fullness to such a burden is as go on pilgrimage. Here a little and year after bliss is best from age to age. You know, people going on a pilgrimage, they don't want a too heavy a backpack. It gets burdensome. So, get the picture. The Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. Let's kneel for prayer.